what prevents me from coming along quietly? This gun in my hand. In an eighth-floor apartment overlooking Parabellum Heights, Falk Ziljan, inescapable hero by virtue of the fact that he carries a gun, approaches the scene of a recent crime with a heavy burden. A heavy burden named Pat Schwerk. Come on, Mr. Ziljan. It's not much of a wrestling match if I'm the only one vocalizing my efforts. You gotta hold up your end of things. Why would I need to wrestle when your wrists are shackled and you're completely in my control? Let me go! I told you we could do it the easy way or the hard way. I thought you were just trying to be butch and threatening to beat me up. I didn't want to ask for the easy way and have everybody think I'm gutless. That's why I said I'd take it like a man, the hard way. The easy way was accompanying me to the police station without resisting. Then I could get on with my next case. But you had to struggle and slow things down. So here we are. The only way I'll have time to record and solve this murder is if I drag you along with me. Now come on. What do you expect to find in this apartment that the detectives missed? They're not perfect. Sometimes it's not a glaring clue. Seeing where a person lives can give you a sense of who they are. Is the furniture expensive or ratty? Do they keep it clean? Is it too expensive for the salary of a waiter? Do they entertain a lot of guests or share their place with more than one occupant? This place is clean. Decent furniture, but not what I'd call fancy or expensive. I can't see any hints about how many visitors pass through. We're apparently looking at the murder scene of Mama Bear where everything's just right. Who was actually killed here? I see the chalk outline in the middle of the living room. Whoever used that chalk really unnecessarily captured her figure. A young woman named Beverly Atchison. She worked as a stenographer. That could give us some areas to investigate. Maybe some hoodlum wanted her to tamper with the judicial process. Maybe she learned about a judge taking bribes and they had to silence her. As long as we're wasting our time, look behind the drapes. Why? What did you see? I watch too many movies. Every time I see a curtain, I think some killer's hiding behind it with his feet sticking out. The drapes are open. They'd have to be a string bean to hide behind that narrow strip of curtain beside the window. Nothing here but bare wall. Say, what's that? By gosh, you did find something. There was a matchbook on the floor under the edge of the drapes. And that's why you take a second look even after detectives have combed the place. The crowbar. You found the murder weapon? No, she was shot. How did you not see that blood stain? It's a dark carpet and I'm colorblind. There's no murder weapon here. I was reading what it says on the matchbook cover. The crowbar. Let's go. I would prefer not to. Ouch! Hey! Later, in a block of dilapidated storefronts in Hex Pantry. This is going to take all day if I have to drag you from place to place. Why won't you come along quietly? You should thank me for providing verisimilitude. This right here is the thing they get wrong on so many radio mystery shows and talkies. The detective presents undeniable evidence at the end. The suspect looks all deflated and admits their crime, takes a minute to monologue about why he had to do it, and then offers no resistance. People ain't like that. They'll deny the sky is blue if that's the detail that sinks them. Plus, if you keep struggling, sometimes you get lucky and get away. Coming along quietly is a sucker's game. You don't deny that you were trying to kill me. No, but I'm going to keep struggling. I love the irony of locking you in the same shackles you had me locked in. Well, I will love the irony as soon as I clamp the irons back on your knee. Here's the place. The crowbar. 
Looks like it's been boarded up for years. I'm gonna tell my attorney you were dragging me through dangerous parts of town with my wrist shackled so I couldn't defend myself. You got an attorney on retainer? My public defender? The place is dusty, but there's been some activity. I see a table that's been roughly brushed clean. Marks in the dust where the chairs have been pulled out and someone's walked back and forth. Let's check the back room. That could just be squatters. Anyone can tell you're not an investigator. You don't take a guess like that and walk away. You have to follow every lead and confirm every possibility. That's why they call detectives Flatfoot and Gumshoe, because they put in the legwork. Take your time pulling me up that stairway. If anybody's upstairs, you should clear out before we get there. No need to jump us. Keep quiet. I thought you were supposed to be a crime fighter. You don't want killers to get away, do you? I'm not getting killed just so you can make a collar. Not much dust on the steps. Looks like this got more traffic. There must be a back door or a window they use to come and go. It's too dark in here. How are we going to see anything if the power's turned off? With this light in my hand. I got a flashlight in my pocket. One of these pockets. Somebody lives here above the bar. I like the dark wood paneling, but this place tells us even less than that first apartment. A naked mattress. That doorway leads to a small bathroom. There's a hot plate. Hey, you in the chair. Put your hands up and back away from that table, slowly. He's not complying. Never mind, he's been shot. He's already cold. No identification in his pockets. Oh no, we're going to be here all day. No, I'll just look around and then call it into the cops. I don't mean that. I mean what's on the table. What is it? A few papers and what are those? More matchbooks. Dozens of them. There's a box of them spilled on the table and more boxes stacked along the wall. The guy collected matchbooks. Is your legwork going to include going to every place advertised on these matches? This one says the Bermuda Club. That's across the state line. You're going to drag me all over the tri-state area. No, look at this. The ones on the table are all pristine. Collectors like to keep their collections in perfect condition. Except for this matchbook on the floor. The cover is bent and stained. That could have fallen off the table. One of the matches that spilled out of that box. I don't think so. I think the killer dropped this one. You must be joking. The killer has a smoke and tosses a different matchbook every time he kills? Smokers are always litter bugs. They toss their butts and matches all over the sidewalk. Even the floors of places they don't have to personally clean up. You think you're so smart, but following clues isn't that hard. I can solve these murders before you can. I bet these are calling cards. The killer's intentionally leaving matchbooks at the scene of the crime. Why? Partly because they want to be caught. Haven't you read Sigmund Freud? Everybody's got a death wish. And complicated feelings about their parents. Freud's overrated. On top of that, the killer wants us to know why he's killing these people. Because they're the smokers. He's probably one of those uptight doctors, always telling you to lay off the booze and cigars. I'd look through police records for someone with tobacco allergies. He wants to leave a message that smoking kills, even if it needs his help to do the killing. That seems pretty far-fetched. When you catch the killer, we'll just see if I'm right. Then let's go to the place named on this bent matchbook and see what we find. What does it say? It says... We'll return after this message from our sponsor. They gave me cash for diabetic test strips. Cash for diabetic test strips. Cash for diabetic test strips. Nobody can be denied. Nobody can be denied. I was broken, had no cash, so I sold my strips to pad my stash. We'll all die someday, might as well live fast. With nobody left to cry. 
If your late great aunt left you nothing but a room full of newspapers and the contents of her medicine cabinet, there's still a way to cash in on the situation. The aftermarket is going strong for medical supplies you have not yet touched to your bloody wounds, as far as we know. Or maybe you've decided your own diabetes has gone away, so you don't need test strips anymore. We're not your doctor. Who are we to judge? We'll take them, and you'll get cash for them. So I sold my diabetic test strips. I rinsed them off. There's no blood, not a sip. I only use them on the size of my hips. Now I can afford to order fries. I can afford to order fries. Cash for diabetic test strips. Cash for diabetic test strips. Cash for diabetic test strips. And unlike your credit application, nobody can be denied. Find our contact information on a sign stapled to a telephone pole near you. This offer not valid in 1939, where blood glucose testing has not yet been invented. We now return with Act 2 of A Match Made in Hex Pantry, Episode 93 of This Gun in My Hand. Falk Ziljan and his prisoner, Pat Schwerk, went to the place named on a matchbook that had apparently been discarded. The Marquette Avenue Library. This location's been closed for years, ever since they expanded the Carnegie Library downtown. Maybe the killer has a thing for killing in abandoned sites. First the crowbar, now this place. Say, did these places close because they caught fire? Maybe the killer's dropping matchbooks because he's taken out arsonists. Maybe he was injured in a fire. Or his parents died when his childhood home was burned down. A revenge killer. When you lift his sleeve, you'll see a burn scar that he always keeps covered. I told you, the killer is dropping matchbooks accidentally. Otherwise, why would they keep leading us to fresh murder scenes? Because he wants to lead us to them. That makes no sense. Crazed spree killers make no sense. How will we even get in this place? It's bound to be locked up tighter than some bar in Hex Pantry. It's an old lock, so it'll be easy to pick. You're going to break into this place. Falk GPT was right about you. Your style of vigilanteism is reckless. Is it vigilantism or vigilanteism? Well, you disregard the law whenever it impedes you, and you just throw caution to the wind. Come on. That door made exactly the same sound as the one above the crowbar. I suppose the killer oils the hinges at every murder scene just enough so they'll make the same creaking sound? Don't be stupid. It's a nice big space, but they really cleared it out. No bookshelves, no tables or chairs. I see some scratches on the floor and small holes where they might have had a front counter bolted down. But they took that too. Librarians have to be frugal. I'm sure they brought all the shelves to their new location and sold or reused that front counter. That's another thing that's been nagging at me. Whoever heard of a library advertising on the covers of matchbooks? Where do they get the money for that? It makes sense for a bar or a restaurant because you can give matches to smokers, but why a library? Libraries have to spend money on outreach. They remind patrons what's available, the phone number and addresses for their locations, the hours they're open. Otherwise, they're spending money to house all those books and phonograph records, and patrons don't know about it. They loan out phonograph records? Oh, sure. Well, some places loan them out. Some places let you listen to them inside the library, on those headset things like telephone operators wear. I did not know that. I learned that off a free bookmark they gave away at the front desk. So what do we do now? There's no corpses with their wallets missing. I don't see any discarded matchbooks at this place. Looks like you run out of clues. I have one more theory to try. First, I need to get information from my friend, the Roboteer. You're not going to play another one of those horrible commercials, are you? No, we only got the one sponsor this time. Let's go. Quit pulling! Oh, 
if so, if I concede you are right to keep resisting, will you stop resisting? Of course not. There. I've got one arm twisted behind your back, even though the other arm is still shackled to it. Stop. I give. Don't turn my arms into a Moebius strip. A what? Ow. You never heard of a Moebius strip? You should have paid more attention in math or geometry or whatever. I've heard of a Moebius strip. Who's Moebius? That's the way you're supposed to say the name of that mathematician. Moebius. I see what's going on. Have you ever met a guy named Flinch Zipjam? Looks a little like me. Is there a crime fighter where you're from called the Six-Spotted Tiger Beetle? I have no idea what you're talking about. I thought you might have crossed here from an alternate universe where those people live. Never mind. You're some kind of hypocrite telling me to come along quietly. How do you figure? I had you locked up in that dungeon in the salt mines. No way you were getting loose. But you never gave up. You spent almost your whole time looking around for ways to escape. You tugged at the chains. You poked at the mortar in between stones in the wall. I guess you were hoping the Count of Monte Cristo had been there before you and loosened some stones. Now that's the right thing to do. You have to keep looking for a way out and struggling because you never know when your captor will let his guard down. I guess you're right. The only argument I have left is your wrists. My wrists? Do you want the shackles to keep digging into your wrists as I drag you all over town? Or do you want to give them a break and stop resisting? You're no good, guy. Now where are we? And why do you have to talk to the robot-ear? The roboteer, Like Rocketeer, but he specializes in robots. You keep correcting my pronunciation and you're the one saying robots. Just answer the question. As you can see from the equipment, we're at an abandoned printing press. Just down Abandondo Street from the abandoned grade school. I spoke to the roboteer because he knows all the printing presses around town. And what are we going to find here? Another skee-ball counterfeiting operation? No. I think we'll find... We found it. That's our killer. Take cover! Hey, whoever you are, I'm not a fan of Ziljan either. If you're a good shot with that thing, maybe you can shoot these cuffs off my wrists. Never mind. Bad idea. I'm taking cover. The shooter is behind one of the printing machines. Not the one that bails up the newspapers at the end of the line. He's behind that one with the big rollers. The one in the middle. I see him. Boy, he knows all your tricks. If he was standing out in the open, he might shoot the gun out of his hand. I'd like to see you do that when he's totally hidden behind that machine. Nine millimeter parabellum in the corner pocket. Did you kill him? No, I shot the gun out of his hand with a bank shot. Falk Ziljan, how did you find me? With this gun in my hand. It was simple. You kept dropping matchbooks at every one of your murder scenes. I followed the trail to the places advertised on the matchbooks. I realized if you didn't pick up a matchbook at each of these venues, where else could a person get them? They're cheap. Anyone could have a matchbook. People pick up discarded matches off the floor of the bus, or they give them to each other. In this economy, when we're still recovering from the Depression, the next most likely person to have this specific matchbook would be someone who works at the factory where they make the matchbooks. Look around. We don't make matchbooks. You printed the covers of the matchbooks here. Then you shipped them to factories where they're stapled onto matchbooks. Very clever. Crime does not pay, and neither does smoking. I agree. Sure, it's undeniable now that your own smoking has gotten you caught. You think I'm a smoker? I would never. My father has a clause in his will that any of his children who smoke tobacco would only get one dollar. Why one dollar? Because state law says you can't completely cut your children out of your will, so you have to leave them at least one dollar. That's right. I killed those eight people and left matchbooks behind to start a national conversation about smoking. To raise awareness that smoking kills. Bless your heart. You thought eight deaths would start a national conversation? Wait, eight people? We only found two. Didn't you see the other matchbooks I left at the crowbar? 
There were hundreds of matchbooks in boxes. I thought those were an unrelated collection except for the one I found on the floor that was bent and stained. I left other matchbooks in that box with scuffs and worn edges. I thought you'd search through all of them. Some investigator you are. Wait, wait. Did you kill those people just because you hate smoking? Well, I have tobacco allergies. Plus, we had a house fire when I was little. I lost all my books. And you lost your parents? No, they survived. You got a scar out of it, though? No. You sound disappointed. No, no. I predicted that you were burnt in a house fire, and that's why you were killing arsonists. Smokers, arsonists, what's the difference? You can still take credit for guessing that, Pat. I never would have unraveled it. I told you so. It doesn't make sense, but crazed spree killers never make sense. Hey. Sorry. Let's see. I don't have any other handcuffs. I guess I can take one shackle off you, Pat, and attach it to... What's your name? They call me Smokeless Joe. Of course. I thought I was sending a clear message. You really didn't get it? Oh, I got the message, but Mr. Detective here couldn't figure it out. Tell him your theory, Falk. Shut it. He thought you were accidentally dropping a book of matches at every site where you killed somebody. What, I'm just chain-smoking all day and tossing one matchbook over my shoulder every hour? Smokers are litterbugs. They toss their butts and their cigarette packs and their matches everywhere. Oh, that is true. Well, either way, you got me dead to rights. I might as well come along quietly. About that, the rational thing to do is... One handkerchief to fill your mouth and another one tied around it, like so, to keep it from falling out. You don't need a gag, do you, Joe? I don't have any more handkerchiefs, so I'd have to use a sock. I can be quiet. Good. Let's go. A Match Made in Hex Pantry, episode 93 of This Gun in My Hand, was ignited by Rob Northrup. This episode and all others are available on YouTube with automatically generated closed captions of dialogue. Visit thisgunandmyhand.blogspot.com for credits, show notes, archives, information on how to subscribe, and to buy my books, such as Little Heist in the Big Woods and other revisionist atrocities. Who's the only smoker that gets close to me? This gun in my hand! This gun in my hand!